Welcome to the Drug History Podcast, Series 1, Episode 8. In this episode, we look at drug use in Hellenistic and Roman times. We are specifically interested in Greece after the death of Alexander the Great in 321 BC, moving on to the period of Imperial Rome, which ended around 476 AD. As we discussed in our episode on drug use in ancient Greece, by the time we get to the beginning of the Hellenistic period, the major influences on medical practice were those arising from the Hippocratic school of thought and a move away from superstition to belief in systematic experimentation. The Hippocratic corpus introduced the theory of humors, which was to hold sway for several centuries, even after the passing of the Roman Empire. According to the Encyclopedia Britannica, after the time of Aristotle, the center of Greek culture shifted to Alexandria, where a famous medical school was established around 300 BC. Alexandria continued as a center of medical teaching even after the Roman Empire had attained supremacy over the Greek world, and medical knowledge remained predominantly Greek. There were challenges to the teachings of the Hippocratic Corpus, of note is Asclepiades of Bithynia, born in 124 BC, who differed from Hippocrates in that he denied the healing power of nature and insisted that disease should be treated safely, speedily, and agreeably. He opposed the humoral theory and drew upon the atomic theory of 5th century Greek philosopher Democritus in advocating a doctrine of strictum et luxum, the attribution of disease to the contracted or relaxed condition of the solid particles that he believed make up the body. To restore harmony among the particles and thus effect cues, Asclepiades used typically Greek remedies, massage, poultices, occasional tonics, fresh air, and corrective diet. In the process, he made Greek medicine much more acceptable to Rome. Despite this, we see another illustrious doctor, Galen, who was practicing in Rome around 161 AD, acknowledging his debt to Hippocrates and following the Hippocratic method, including accepting the doctrine of the humors. It is possibly due to the influence of Galen that this theory remained undisputed for many centuries afterwards. Indeed, despite their many achievements in engineering and governance, it appears that the Romans did not add much to the development of medicine beyond what had been developed by the Greeks. Penn Museum provides an interesting article by John Scarborough focusing on drugs and medicines in the Roman world. He gives an interesting account of assisted dying involving a nobleman by the name Licinius. The senator, known to have been a real historical figure, uses opus lozenges. Opus is indicative of the opium poppy. This will sound familiar to modern health personnel who will be familiar with the use of opiate-based analgesics in palliative care. The account is taken from Pliny the Elder's Natural History, which Pliny completed in AD 77. Scarborough informs us that medicamenta, which 
is a broad group comprising drugs, remedies, sometimes poisons, cosmetics, or dyes, were prominent in the lives of the Romans. The best physicians were well-schooled in pharmaceutical law, with an armamentarium of drugs derived generally from botanicals, but often from animals and minerals. He also tells us that midwives were recognized as professionals, particularly in terms of knowledge of drugs, medicines, and poisons. Such women were also skilled in administering fertility drugs. We also glean several important facts from Scarborough's work. These include the following. Firstly, the two main drugs that were used in palliative care were frankincense, which was known as libanotus and used by the rich, and opus, made from the latex of the opium poppy and found in more general usage. Secondly, we find out that clenchin, taken in the form of a herbal tea, was used as a contraceptive. Thirdly, we learn that hemlock was used by Athenians to administer the death penalty for capital crimes with the formula for its preparation known to a committee of 11. Uh, fourthly, we are told that among the animal products used as pharmaceutical products, we find honey, blister beetles, beeswax, fats, marrows, milks, crushed cockroaches, concoctions of boiled snakes, and even the rennets produced from the stomachs of seals, goats, oxen, and other animals. The fifth point we learn is that blister beetles were used in aphrodisiacs and poisons. As the sixth point, we're told that the drug booths in Roman fora featured a large variety of concoctions, compounds, and samples used in culinary recipes, medications, and cosmetics. These substances incorporated many land and sea creatures as well as plants. The seventh point is that shellfish reduced to ash were used for fleshy overgrowths, cleaning out sores and causing these sores to scar over. We're also told that a soup made from fresh clams was used as a laxative. Finally, we find out that the flesh from snails was mixed with myrrh and frankincense to close up wounds and stop nosebleeds. Separately, we learn that gladiators drank energy drinks containing plant ash, which was high in calcium and thus beneficial for the bones. The drinks were a mixture of ash, vinegar and water and used in the same way we would use energy drinks today. The medical use of drugs is often accompanied by recreational use and abuse. According to the BBC History website and Cambridge University Press, opium was often misused for suicide. In fact, according to the BBC, many Romans purchased opium for just that reason. Suicide was no sin in the Roman world, and many people suffering from old age and disease chose to float from life on a gentle wave of opium. It is unlikely that the Greek divinities Hypnos, the god of sleep, and Anatos, his twin brother, the god of death, are both depicted with wreaths or bouquets of poppies by coincidence. 
Opium was a common aid to sleep while, as writes the Greek philosopher Theophrastus, from the juice of the poppy and hemlock come easy and painless death. Besides opium, cannabis was also well known. The Greek physician Dioscorides was familiar with cannabis and reported that extensive use tended to sabotage the user's uh, intimate life to the point that he recommends using the drug to reduce sexual desire in persons or situations where such impulses might be considered inappropriate. Pliny the Elder describes it as laughing weed, which he says is intoxifying when added to wine. Galen describes how hemp was used in social gatherings as an aid to joy and laughter. Archaeological evidence also suggests that cannabis was used to aid childbirth. Alcohol was also widely used in Roman times. We learn that after water and milk, wine was the ordinary drink of the Romans of all classes. It must be distinctly understood, however, that they always mixed it with water and used more water than wine. Pliny the Elder mentions one wine that would stand being mixed with eight times its own bulk of water. To drink wine unmixed was thought typical of barbarism. Wine was so drunk only by the dissipated at their wildest revels. Psychedelic mushrooms were also sometimes taken by athletes in ancient Greek Olympics in the belief that they conferred a competitive edge. Among the stranger drugs we also find in Rome is goat dung, which was used in energy drinks not just by charioteers, but by the Emperor Nero himself. There were also unusual beliefs about the milk from a donkey. Writings attributed to Hippocrates describe it as a cue for a diverse range of ailments, including liver problems, infectious diseases, fevers, nosebleeds, poisoning, joint pains, and wounds. Pliny the Elder adds fatigue, eye strains, weakened teeth, face wrinkles, ulcerations, asthma, and certain gynecological troubles to the list of afflictions it could treat. It was also supposedly an antidote to poisoning by gypsum, white lead, sulfur, or quicksilver. Other indications included using it as a gargle for ulcerations of the throat and taken internally by patients suffering from atrophy for the purpose of recruiting their exhausted strength, as also in cases of fever unattended with headache. On that fascinating note, we conclude today's episode of the Drug History Podcast. Join us again next time.